Amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? Our text today comes from Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21. The scripture says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I want you to remember this portion of the text as I read the balance of the text, right? It starts off by telling us to submit to one another. Then it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now let me just stop there. And it doesn't just say wives submit. It says as to the Lord, right? So there's a kind of like a condition, if you will, on it. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And by the way, a head would be better defined as a covering, a covering, right? For the husband is the head of the church, even as Christ is the head of the church. For the husband, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means, what means? Mutually submit to one another. For husbands, this means, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Fellas, does your word clean your wife? Does your word encourage your wife? Does your word uh, wash over your wife like something good? Or does your word put your wife down? Does your wife keep your, your, your word keep your wife low? Notice what? He did this to present her to himself a glorious church without having a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. How many guys love themselves? You know, everybody should raise their hand. If you don't love yourself, there's a problem. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us to love ourselves. I have a book coming out in a couple months called Love Yourself. Because it's biblically important for you to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, ain't nobody else going to be able to love you, right? Do you love yourself? Amen. Notice what it says. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. We are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is, is, it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Today we are continuing in our series, Perfect Relationships or Anything But. And I want to talk to you about the most imperfectly perfect relationship that there is on planet earth other than our relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the marriage relationship. And I feel totally compelled by God to share these truths with you today in light of and especially because of what is happening in our culture. We saw it manifested again this week in Florida. And everybody is 
crying about and, and, and speaking out and I understand frustrations are high and opinions are wild about how we need to change laws and all of that kind of stuff. And I know they all need work and I'm not going to make a political statement when it comes to that. But those are all the symptoms of the real problem. We are, we are trying to fix all the outside stuff. The real problem, the reason why we are seeing this stuff happen over and over again has everything to do with the, the, the deterioration of the family. And as the family continues to get deteriorated, it manifests itself in the children. And the reason why you're going to continue to see more and more of this stuff is because we are going further and further away from God's biblical truths when it comes to family and how a family is supposed supposed to work. And the most important relationship in family is the relationship between a husband and a wife. I could bore you with the statistics to convince you that the family is responsible for all of the ills that is in our society right now, but I won't. My point is to give you something to help stabilize our families and therefore affect our culture and our civilization the right way. The second reason why I feel compelled to teach on this is because we live in a culture that has hijacked the principles of God's word when it comes to holy matrimony. As a result, we have a mess that keeps on getting messier because God's timeless truths are met with the utmost resistance under the guise of being outdated, intolerant, and out of touch. And that could be further from the truth. God's truths are relevant always on time, and have the ability to fix the things that are broken in our lives. And so we need to embrace that. And so it's from that point of view that I share my assignment with you today. And I want to take it from one of the most uh, familiar phrases that pertains to men and women, because that's really what, what marriage is made up of, men and women. And, and the statement is, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. But my title today is, because I don't have time to talk about both sexes today, so I'm going to start off talking about women today, but, but women for the benefit of men. And next week, I'm going to talk about men for the benefit of women. So even though my title today is, Venus is her name, the message is aimed at the fellas so that we can get some understanding of what marriage is supposed to look like. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today and we ask that you open our hearts. We ask that you teach us in our souls. We ask us that you help to renew our minds so that we can recapture some of the principles that have been lost in our culture and have the kind of families that you have ordained for us to have. We give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, would you just ask somebody, especially if they're from the opposite sex, this question, what planet are you from? (laughs) By way of introduction today, I want to start by stating the obvious. And the obvious is that families are one of the primary targets of the enemy of our soul. Satan has figured out that we, we see what we seem to fight in our society on a regular basis. And that is, if you can destroy the family, you can destroy civilization and the crown jewel of God's creation, which is humanity. And even if you only have a casual comprehension of the Bible, you've heard of the story of Adam and Eve. What you probably don't realize about the story of Adam and Eve is that the way Satan was able to slither in to our humanity and, and cause 
sin to cast a shadow over all of our culture was by getting into the first marriage. That's the way he gained access into the lives of humanity. He got Adam and Eve on a different page. And when he got them on a different page, he then got them to buy into not obeying God's laws for successful living. And that's how Satan got in. And the result of that was that families became broken and that family that was broken all of a sudden showed up in the dysfunction of Adam and Eve's children. As you might recall, the first murder took place in Adam and Eve's children when Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. And so my question is, how does that dysfunction get on a child? And the way that this, that dysfunction gets on a child is the child is not formed many times in a proper family environment. So as Satan slithered in and got in between Adam and Eve and got them on different pages, that dysfunction between them manifested itself in their children. And since it's not my subject, today. I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but I want to simply set the stage by causing us to acknowledge the obvious, which is that families and therefore specifically marriages are the primary target of the enemy of our soul. We have to recognize that. And if you were to study all of the statistics, you would find out that fatherlessness, not all of the other stuff that everybody is whining about right now, And I don't mean to make light of it because stuff does need to be fixed, right? There are some practical things that we should do in our society, but we can fix all the practical things. If we never get the principles right, the practical fixes are not going to do anything. And so I want us to realize that, that Satan has targeted families and, um, what I want to do today is I want to, I want to aim this teaching at the marriage relationship, again, the most perfectly imperfect relationship that there is, because it involves two different people. Two different people, different in so many ways, different histories, right? I mean, raised in different families, seen different examples of family. Some have seen a positive example of family. Some have gotten a good picture of what a godly woman and wife and mother should be. And some have gotten a good picture of what a godly father and husband should be. And some have gotten no picture of what either one of those should be. And so we now live in a society where many young people are bereft of any understanding of what good family is supposed to look like and what a good dad and what a good father and what a good mom and what a good mother and and wife is supposed to be because there aren't a lot of great examples for them to look at and glean from and learn from. And so people are raised and they come in with different histories and different family backgrounds and different worldviews. And some people come from a, a worldview that is closer to biblical than other people do and they're raised with different educations and they have different experiences that mold and shape them and mark them in life. And so these two people who are different in so many ways enter into a relationship where they are trying to form not two separate lives, but one harmonious life. And they're lost because they come from different worlds. And then on top of those differences that, um, that the world and society gives us, there are godly differences that God intentionally gives us. You know, the biological differences between a man and women, woman and, and the makeup that differentiates a man from a woman. And, and, and what's amazing is that there are certain differences that we should be opposed to, but that there are other differences that we should embrace. The, God intentionally made us to be different. And in our culture, we fight against this truth of embracing godly differences so much so that the following statement is going to be a shock to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is that men and women are not created equally. 
Hello? I know we think that they are, but, but I promise you that they're not. And I don't mean by that, that that men are better than women or women are better than men. Because that's not true. I'm not suggesting that one sex should, ha- should be offered more rights and privileges than another sex because they shouldn't. And certainly both men and women should be treated as equals in terms of respect and opportunity and pay and influence and f- uh, uh, politically and morally and all that. Uh, but we are called the opposite sex for good reason. Because we're different. And a failure to understand these differences has rocked our homes and ruined our marriage and marriages and left our families fractured and broken. That's why 50% of all marriages in and outside of the church end in divorce, first marriages. People think, well, I'll get it better the second time. 64% of all second marriages end in divorce. People think, well, three times is a charm. 70-something percent of all third-time marriages end in divorce. It's not that we get better by keep trying, because if we keep trying with the wrong principles and the wrong understandings, we're just going to keep failing, and we're going to fail quicker on the next go-around because we've learned how to get out of something that we should be committed to for life. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? And I haven't even gotten started yet. (laughs) Equality was never God's goal in creation. Matter of fact, with much of creation, diversity was God's goal. So if you look out over creation, you see a difference in flowers on purpose. A difference in colors on purpose. A difference in animals on purpose. Would anybody argue that a, a mouse and an elephant are equal? Why are we arguing that in our society? We're not supposed to be created the same. They're different on purpose. Adam and Eve were, Adam and Eve were drawn to each other because of their differences. It was her femininity that drew Adam to her to the point when he first laid eyes on her, he looked at it and he said, whoa, man. I mean, it was her differences that drew her to him. And Adam and Eve were perfectly comfortable with exposing their differences to one another, if you know what I mean. Until sin sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, all of a sudden they wanted to cover what made them different. And so, yeah, there are a lot of ways that we are equal. We are equally as valuable in the eyes of God. Both men and women have, have been redeemed with the same precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have equality there and we have equal standing before God. The scripture plainly says that in Christ there is neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are equal candidates to be used by God for his purposes. Paul, a man, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and Mary, a woman, was picked for the highest purpose ever given to humankind, and that is to bear the Messiah and bring the Messiah into the world. So we are equal candidates for God's purposes in our lives. But when we don't understand our differences and we don't appreciate and embrace our differences, it sets our families up to be broken and fractured. When we fail to understand each other's differences, we are doomed to fail, doomed to inaccurately judge each other's motives but there is much relational power in seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. Everything changes when we understand the why behind somebody's behavior. I read a story about Stephen Covey. He was on a New York City subway, and it was early in the morning, so it was rather quiet for the subway. He said it was actually peaceful in the cart, and people were dozing off, and other people were reading their paper and just enjoying their coffee, and everything seemed very, very calm and peaceful. And then all of a sudden, this man entered the subway car with his two kids who were very rambunctious, and they were running around the subway car, and they were making lots of noise, and they were even grabbing people's papers and ripping them up and stuff like that. He said it was. It, he did everything he could not 
not to get overly frustrated. And he said, in, in total restraint, he said, I tapped the man who seemed to be in a coma of sorts. Sorts. He seemed to be unconscious. And I said, sir, uh, if you wouldn't mind, do you think you can do something about your children? And, and the guy, as if to come to consciousness, turned to him and he said, you know, you're right. I, I, I guess I should. He said, but we just left the, how, the hospital an hour ago where their mother passed away. And um, I don't know how to handle it. And I guess they don't either. And he said, and suddenly, instead of there being a frustration in the subway car, there was this, this new level of understanding because they got the why behind the behavior. And so even though there are many differences between men and women today, I want us to try to understand each other because if we can get the why behind it, instead of there being this criticalness, instead of there being these walls and these and these things that separate the two of us, especially in, in a marriage relationship, what we can do is we can begin to understand so we can flourish together. And let's face it, it is hard for men to understand women, isn't it? I mean, it real, real hard. I heard about this guy. God appeared to him one day, and God said to him, whatever you want, just ask me. Go ahead, and I'll, I'll do it for you. And the man thought about it for a little while, and he said, you know what I would really love more than anything else? I want a one-lane expressway from my front door right to Hawaii. And God said, man, what you're asking is so much here. I've got to move mountain ranges and get oceans and buildings out of the way. And he said, why don't you ask for something else? And the man thought about it for a minute. He said, God, can you explain women to me? And God looked at him, and he said, man, he said, where do you want that highway? It's hard for men to understand women, isn't it? Real, real hard. And ladies, don't you, you can't blame us. And here's the reason why. We were in a coma when the opposite sex thing began, weren't we? God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. Adam wakes up and all of a sudden there's somebody of the opposite sex there. Many of you ladies think we never woke up from the coma, but we're trying. Did you know that men also have brain damage? True fact. It's not supposed to be funny. You know, Snapple, sometimes you open the bottle and you read true facts and you're like, that can't be right. They're, they're true facts. They're true facts. Men have brain damage. Between the 18th and 20th month of, of pregnancy, when a man is in, in the womb, testosterone floods a baby male's brain. Floods it. To the point where the right side retards a little bit. It doesn't form completely like a woman's brain does. And some of the connecting fiber from the right side and the left side breaks down. And and so that's why men are very left, uh, right-brained, right? What do they do? They're very analytical and they're very, you know, logical and stuff like that. And, and women are very detail-oriented. It's because we're a little brain-damaged. It's a fact. And so it becomes hard, hard, right? I just want you to know, guys, their brain does work better than our brain. That, that is a fact. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to upset some people. But I'm like, if you really want to get something done, ask a woman. I believe that. And so it's hard, though, for both of us to understand one another. And guys, don't worry. I'm coming at the ladies next week. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just paving the way so that I can do that without a lot of, you know, pushback. I want to set the, the text. I want to set, set our, our environment. I want to set our attitude with, with the scripture that our text begins with because it's so important, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's amazing how in the discussion of husbands and wives, we never begin with this verse. We always skip to the second part of the verse, which is an explanation of this verse, right? And here's what it says. The second part says, for you wives, here's what that means. But it begins by submitting to one another. It's amazing because we have jumped the gun on the verse. We have pulled it out of context. And we have basically said, what that means is that women should be subservient to men. And men in your home, you ought to be like a boss. I remember when my wife told me one time, she said, you know, you're not the CEO of the house. 
You know, because sometimes like you're, you're in charge of stuff. I read about one guy, his wife, wife worked at, at Rite Aid. She was the manager at Rite Aid. And at Rite Aid, you know, she'd be saying, you know, you got to move this box over here and that box over here. And she came home and she was like telling her husband, move that box there and put, put this over here. And he said, honey, you ain't at Rite Aid right now. Sometimes we, we take home what we, what we live at work and because we don't understand that, that marriage is not about one person submitting to the other. It's about both people submitting to one another. It's about compromise. It's about me submitting to how you need to be loved and you submitting to how I need to be loved. Marriage is about sacrifice, not selfishness. It's about deference, not digging your heels in. It's about submitting, not stub, not being stubborn. It, our highest goal in marriage should be, how do I meet your need? If, if you don't have that perspective in marriage, you're in for a long ride, a bumpy ride. Marriage can be heaven on earth, but it can also be a living hell. But it's only a living hell when we don't apply the principles of God's word and we get stuck in, you know, why aren't you meeting my needs and why aren't you doing this for me and why aren't you? And we become other person focused. I think that in order to have successful marriage, we got to be focused on us. How, what am I doing, God? I don't think we need to ever worry about the other person's behavior in marriage. We need to worry about our own behavior in marriage because I found out that if you'll treat somebody the right way long enough, they'll eventually begin to treat you right back. And here's the thing, fellas, the onus is on you, head. See, you know, we, we, we don't understand what, what, what leadership means. For me, leadership is all about extra responsibility. Isn't that what the Bible teaches in its preponderance? That when you are the head of anything, when you are the leader of anything, first of all, it never means you get to lord your authority over anyone. That's poor leadership. That's bad leadership, right? Leadership that lords, leadership that demands, leadership that commands, leadership that is Gestapo-like. That, that's not the right kind of leadership. That's bad leadership. Jesus was a servant leader, right? So leadership for me doesn't mean I get to, I get to boss. Leadership for me means that, that I, that I get to cover. I get to, to, to help. I, I get to, to wonder how can I meet this person's needs and especially in the marriage area of marriage. I like to say that, that the marriage relationship as defined in Ephesians is not about rank. It's about the assignment of role, right? And we realize this. How many of you think just as a person, your boss is more valuable than you? Thank you, Chris. Where's my CFO? Give, give him a raise this week. Give him a, give him a raise this week. And he, without hesitation, too, he's like, man, that is good right there. But we all know, right, that, that it's not that our bosses are more valuable. They play a different role, right? Why is it that in marriage we've looked at the roles and determined that that, that means rank, that one person is, is better than another person? It's just the roles that God has assigned to us. And when you read the Bible, the Bible talks about, for instance, the roles in the church. And he says, you know, if, if you're a foot, don't say to the hand that I'm better than you. You know, you might stink a little bit more. Don't, don't say to the hand that I'm better than you. You know, you can't go through life without a hand. You need your foot. You know, your eyes are important. It, it defines all of the roles and it says every one of them is, is vitally necessary. And so when we approach Ephesians 5, we got to approach it from this, this role definition rather than rank definition. And so what I want to do is I want to give you, um, cause Venus is her name, th- what Venus stands for. Venus stands for, one person said it stands for Visa, American Express, and Neiman Marcus, and Ogardo, Ongardo, and Saks Fifth Avenue. No, it doesn't mean that. It's just a joke. 
Venus represents the, the five basic needs that most women have. And I, and I love when you talk about these things, you know, most women, and then you get the one woman or the one man be like, I don't have that kind of need. Okay, all right, fine. You, you're, you're an outlier, okay? But this is the way that most people are when it comes to needs, men and women. We're going to deal with the, the needs of a woman because our highest role, fellas, is to meet the needs of our wife. That's what it means to be a husband, right? To meet the needs of your wife. And so how do you know how to meet those needs unless you know what those needs are? First, first basic need of all women is verbal communication. We know that women are hardwired to talk. Matter of fact, it's, it's been studied that women speak 20,000 words a day and men only 7,000. That means that, that men have three times less things to say than women or women have three times more things to say. When I saw this, I immediately took my wife over to the following verse, James chapter one, verse 19. It says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. I said, honey, see that right there? Slow it down, man. Cut it back a little bit because you are so far out of the will of God. 20,000 words is way over the top. You know what she said to me? She said, the first part of the verse says, be quick to listen. Yay, Felisa. Right? She's actually a saint when it comes to this stuff because by virtue of calling, I'm a communicator, right? So especially on Sunday, I'm at a real word deficit. I mean, I've, I've given all my words and then more than all my words. So by the time I get home on Sunday, I'm a mute. I don't, imagine having to try to have a conversation with a mute. I'm like, honey, I got nothing left for you. Can we wait till Monday, you know? And, you know, sometimes she's great about that. She's absolutely wonderful. And here's the thing I found out is that women are able to give you space, guys, when it comes to conversation, so long as it's not all the time. Right? I mean, like, it, it's fair for anybody to say, man, I'm just exhausted right now, and I don't, I don't want to get it. But if, if that's your go-to every time she wants to talk, I mean, that's not fair. That, that that's, that's not right. We're talking about patterns, right? And, and you got to have a, a pattern, a verbal communication. They're, they're hardwired to talk. So I want to give you a couple of tips, guys. What do you do to meet this basic need? Number one, you ask God for the grace of gab. The grace of gab. Why the grace of gab? Because the gift of gab is never going to be a thing for most men. Most men are not going to just like love to talk and 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 talk. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away with that. Most men are just not going to like to have long conversations all the time. But but here's the thing is that it's it's a need that the one that you love, the one that you are called to nourish and cherish has... And so as a husband who is called, whose primary role is to meet the needs of your wife, then you need to ask God to give you a grace in that area. Even though women may be hardwired one way and men hardwired another way, here's what I found out, that that the way that you have a propensity to be does not trump what God has asked you to do. Isn't that good? Because you know, that's how we feel in our society. Like, well, if this is just the way I am, then it's just the way I am. Uh-uh. No. Not true at all. God's will, God's word, God's principles take precedent over any proclivity that you may have in life. Let me take a bad example. What if your proclivity is just to curse and swear at everybody? Should you just do that? Or should you check that? Should you ask God for grace in that area? So if your proclivity is just to not talk, but yet you're married to a woman who's, who's one of our basic needs is verbal communication, then you need to ask God for the grace of Gab. Second thing you need to do, guys, is you need to tip number two, come out of your nothing box. 
a man's brain is broken down into boxes. Did you know that? It's true. We have a, we have a box for everything. We have a box for our wives, a box for our job, a box for our kids, a box for our money, a box for our mother-in-law that's taped shut and put in the basement somewhere, but we have a box for her, right? There's, there's, there's a box. I love my mother-in-law dearly. She'll tell you that. So that's just a joke. Ladies, the claws came out on that one. You were like, relax. Let me, let me read you this little excerpt from a hilarious book called Men and Women by Bill and Pam Farrell. Men are like waffle makers. Look at all the ladies going, yeah, that's right. Waffle, waffle, waffle. They waffle all the time. Look, we don't mean that men waffle on all decisions and are generally unstable. What we mean is that men process life in boxes. If you look down at a waffle, you see a collection of boxes separated by walls. The boxes are all separate from each other and make convenient holding places. That is typical of how a man processes life. Our thinking is divided up into boxes that have room for one issue and only one issue. Men can organize every category of their life into separate boxes and like to spend time in the boxes that they succeed in. They have boxes where there are nice thoughts and memories and other boxes that are blank and have no thoughts or words, thus their ability to tune out at times. Any ladies ever notice that your your husband can just, just tune out? Can I see your hand, please? Bold woman, bold woman. Any other bold women here? Look at both. Watch, when I ask these kind of questions to the men, not a man will raise their hand, I promise you. <laughs> Ladies will be like, yeah, that's him right there. I promise you, that's him. You know? And they can tune out. See, now I thought that was a defense mechanism that God built into us, but I, I, maybe I'm learning. That was a joke. Boxes. What do I mean by that? So if men have all these boxes, and by the way, matter of fact, 70% of a man's brain brain shuts down when they're at rest as opposed to only 10% of a woman's brain. Because guess what what kind of box a man has in his brain? It's called a nothing box. And do you know what a man's favorite box is? The nothing box. Now, if you understand this, watch how how this typical marriage conversation that you've heard before goes. You're going to understand it all of a sudden. Here's how it goes. What are you thinking about, she, she asks. And the man says? And she says, what do you mean you're talking about nothing? Everybody, you can't, what do you mean you're thinking about nothing? Everybody's always thinking about something. He pauses for a moment. He goes, no, I was thinking about And she says with a tinge of hurt in her voice, you're lying. You just don't want to let me in. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not lying. And, and she storms off and he storms off. She's thinking, what a jerk. And he's thinking, can somebody please explain women to me, right? And it has nothing to do with not under, it has nothing to do with, you know, um, uh, one being wrong and the other. It has everything to do with how we created differently. And so here's the thing that I've realized that since I like to go to my nothing box, that, I, that I've had to be conscious about asking God to keep me out of my nothing box when my wife would like to engage in verbal communication. And I've had to, to decide that beforehand. I think the best decisions are the decisions that you kind of decide beforehand. The, se- the third tip I want to give you is, guys, you need to really begin to love spaghetti. Yeah, love spaghetti. Second part of that little excerpt is this. In contrast to a man's waffle approach, women process like a plate of pasta. If you look at a plate of spaghetti, you'll notice that there are lots of individual noodles that all touch one another. If you attempted to follow one noodle around the plate, you would intersect a lot of other noodles, and you might even switch 
to another noodle seamlessly. This is how women face life. Even though it is, even every thought is connected to every other thought and issue in some way, life is much more of a process for a woman than a man. And now watch this. Here's, here's what happens with men, right? Your wife is having a conversation with you. And, 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 and they're telling you about what's happened and you're trying to follow it and you're going. Right? And, and then all of a sudden what happens is you get so frustrated. You're like, can you get to the point already? Does this happen to anybody else? So, so here's what you have to do. You got to learn to love spaghetti. This is easy for me because I'm Italian. And so here's how you learn to love spaghetti. You understand how a woman processes. And so now you get to just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the details. You know, enjoy the variations in color, you know. And, you know, amazing, like, you know, you're like, that's green. And she's like, no, it's teal. And I'm like, all right, it's teal, you know. I mean, does it really matter? No, but it's really teal. Do you know why actually women have, their brains are built to, to, to see more than a man's brain? And so that's why when you call it green, it's really teal, pr- I promise you. They actually see much better than we do. I'll prove it to you. How many has over, gone over to the, to the cupboard to try to find salt? And you're like, look, and you can't find the salt. You know the salt is always right there, right? And, and so you're like, honey, where's the salt? And she's like, it's in the cupboard. And you're like, I'm looking in the cupboard right now. And she's like, well, it's there. And you're like, what do you think, I'm stupid? It's like right there. I'm, I'm looking right in the cupboard. And she comes over, and what does she do? She just reaches right in, pulls out the salt, goes, here you go. You're like, holy cow, she does magic too. It's because men see things like this and women see in, in living color, right? And so you have to know, okay, if this is the way that God has hardwired women, that you've got to decide to enjoy that. Why, why get upset with it? I'll just, just roll with it and begin to enjoy. And so I, I've learned a, a good use for my wife's ability to, to just talk like spaghetti. Um, I write a lot of books, and sometimes they're a little smaller than I want them to be, and I give them to her. I'm like, can you add some details, please? And it just works out great for us, right? And so you got to learn to love pasta. Last tip about communicating is you need to ask God, not just for the grace of gab, but the grace of listening. The grace of listening. Difference between listening to what was said and hearing what was communicated. Matter of fact, in James chapter 1, right, everybody should be quick to listen. And see, us men, we, we are able to hear what was said, but not hear what was communicated. And I'll prove it to you. How many of you, when your wife feels like you're not paying attention, will say, what did I just say? Anybody ever have that to them? I have the ability to repeat back the last sentence without fail. Not because I was hearing what was communicated, but I just, just, I can do it. So I can say, you said dinner's going to be ready in 10 minutes. You said, please take out the garbage. You said, you know, where are we going for dinner tonight? I can, I can repeat it back. And, and, and sometimes that gets me off the hook, but most of the times it doesn't because she knows I wasn't paying attention. Because there's a difference between hearing what was said and listening to what was communicated, right? And I want to tell you, give you another clue here, guys. Ladies have their own language. It's called hints. This is a fact. And this is not, this is in no way to, 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 to say that it's bizarre. It's just the way that we're, right, we're going to talk about the languages that men have later on. Men, men have their own language too. It's called grunts. Right? Women have hints, men have grunts. Right? And, and so let me kind of teach you how this works a little bit. 
it's a little cold in here. That means, can you turn down the air conditioner a little bit or turn up the heat? That means, can you get me a sweater, right? All you heard was, all she said was, it's a little cold in here. I don't care where we eat. (laughs) That does not mean that. Trust me, it does not mean that. It means either take me to one of my favorite places or run some ideas by me, right? It does not mean I don't care, right? The response, what do you want for your birthday? Just a little something does not mean that, I promise you. It means get me a diamond or you're sleeping on the couch tonight. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that, right? All sorts of different things. The thing about the communication, about the hints thing, it breaks down in one area. No means no. And I'm not talking about like pushing off somebody who you're dating. I'm talking about no means no, even when it comes to marriage. It's like men men get the hint thing then or think they get the hint thing then. They're like, I get it. No really doesn't mean no. You're giving me a hint, aren't you? And a man will try to figure out that hint when it comes to that. But everything else, a man is like, all right, I got you, you know. Well, he'll go to his wife and say, how you doing tonight? Everything okay? Look like something's wrong. She said, nothing. He'll go, okay, great. And he'll walk away. Rookie mistake. Really rookie mistake. If she looks like something's wrong, something is wrong. And so this leaves us men asking the question a lot of times, why don't you just say what you mean? Can I give you the answer? Women use hints because they want to know that we understand their heart. And, And so... What we need to do is we need to get a clue, guys, right? And here's what most men do. They get stubborn about it. They're like, well, if you're not going to say what you want to say, then I'm just, I'm not, that's okay. I'm, you know, I can't, what am I, some type of mind reader? Have you ever heard that before? Am I a mind reader? I think guys are pretty smart. I need a guy to give me, to, to help me out with an illustration. Can, can a woman volunteer her husband? Can I have a woman volunteer? <laughs> Craig, would you help me out? All right, Greg, yeah, all right, Greg. Give it up for Greg. Now, Greg, come on up here, come on up here, yeah, come on up. Now, I got to say, <laughs> by the way, I told Greg this before that Greg's a good-looking man, and he's a good-looking man. Give it up for Greg. Now, I think he's a smart man, too. I'm going to give you three hints. I don't want you to guess before I, before I give you all three hints, okay? You might get it on the first hint, but I'm going to give you three just to make sure you don't miss what I'm saying. And then after I give you the three hints, then I want you to guess what I'm trying to say to you, okay? All right, you got that? Do I need to repeat myself? Okay, good. All right. First hint is, bro, how about a Tic Tac? There you go. How about a Tic Tac? There you go. You can have the whole box. Second hint is, yo, bro, how about, how about some, some cinnamon extra gum, long-lasting flavor? How about some of that, bro? Here you go. Third, third hint that I want to give you, okay? Bro, got some Altoids here. There you go. Here's some Altoids. Now watch this. Watch how smart us men are. What am I trying to tell you, Greg? I got bad breath. Look at how smart he is. Come on, somebody. Thank you. You get to keep all the parting gifts. They are yours, right? See, here's, here's what I, here's what I kind of figure is that if it might not be easy to pick up the hints at first, like people who are newly married, guys who are newly married, you get a little grace for not understanding the hints. But after you've been with somebody for like a few years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if you don't know the hints already, 
you're still in a coma. It's time to wake up, right? It's time to get a clue. It's time to meet this need of verbal communication. Every woman has a need for verbal communication. Second basic need of women is E, emotional support. Do you know what the number one cause of depression amongst women is? Self-esteem. True fact. Number one cause of depression amongst women. Self-esteem. And you can't blame women because they have been conditioned ever since they are little girls to be concerned about whether they measure up. A couple of examples. When a little girl twirls and dances and says, Daddy, 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 look. She's asking, am I beautiful? Am I pretty? Do you notice me? And she throws down the proverbial measuring stick. According to daddy's reaction, she stretches out the string, quietly wonders, do I, do I measure up? She's in junior high. Boys are starting to notice girls. She feels awkward and, and unsure, but she, she joins the game. She throws down her measuring stick, stretches out the string, wonders, do I measure up? It's time for her or others to vote on homecoming queen, high school sweethearts, prom dates, college applications, class rankings. Again, she throws down the measuring stick, stretches out the string, do I measure up? Now, chances are the longer she's a Christian, the closer she grows to the Lord, she'll pull out that measuring stick less and less. Chances are she will become strong and secure and know who she is in Christ. And I'm not saying that a lady's identity should be wrapped up in a man because it should not be. It should be wrapped up in who you are in Christ. And I'm a dad, and I, I don't want my daughter's identity wrapped up in a man. And I'm a husband. I don't want my wife's identity wrapped up in me. I want it securely rooted in who she is and in Christ. I want her to know that she's a strong, powerful, independent woman who could be used by God in ter- terrific and amazing ways. And I, I know that. But God has hardwired Ladies to, to want to know, how do you view them? The one that they care about. The one that they, they love. Yes, God calls her beautiful. And yes, God makes it clear that she has a unique and wonderful purpose. And he sees all her contributions that she makes to her career and, and her community and to her family and her home. But she needs to know how valuable she is in your eyes, fellas. That in your eyes, she does more than measure up. I remember one time I came home and, and Lisa got home before me and, and she was doing some, some research on the internet and she happenstanced across this thing that put a value on what a good wife and a good mother would be paid in our society. And she said, you want to know? You want to know? And I said, sure. And she said, $150,000 a year. And I said, I said, are you kidding me? A hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for what you do? She looked at me like, I said, honey, that's way too cheap for what you do. I said, honey, you're a Proverbs 31 woman. You're a virtuous woman. You're worth more than rubies and more to be desired than gold and more to sought after than diamonds. I mean, see, guys, we need to let them know. How much they mean to us. Emotional support in every area of life. Whatever that area is, we need to provide that emotional support, whether it's in self-esteem, whether it's doing something at work or home or with the kids or a friend or extended family. Don't take the opposite side. Stand by her side. Hold her up. Be a pillar that she can rest on in times of unrest. Just like the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And V, verbal communication, E, emotional support. N, 
Third need, to be nurtured. What does that mean? That means to tenderly care for somebody. To put it bluntly, that means just don't say so. Well, that, that would be a good start for some men. Just don't say so, show so. Just don't say so, show so. I read about this, this couple that um, was married for a lot of years, Grace and Jim. And the 17th of every month was very, very special to them, extremely special. Um, on the 17th, Jim would always do something to show Grace how much she meant to him, to tenderly care for her, to nurture her. And, and sometimes it would be flowers, and other times it would be a scribbled note, and whatever it was, maybe a walk or something like that. And each time he did that, he would always end it with a verbal or a written, just because. It was the 17th of November, and it was a special day for Grace. No one would have known why. It wasn't a birthday. It wasn't her anniversary. It wasn't anything that, you know, anybody would, would think this is a special day. And it had been three weeks since Jim had passed away. And the, the mailman came up to the door to deliver the mail that day, which was kind of odd and unusual for Grace. And um, he handed her a letter. And immediately her hands begin to shake and her, her lip begin to quiver and she recognized the, the handwriting on the outside of the letter. It was a note from, from Jim. He had arranged before he died for the mailman to deliver that one last note. And she opened it up and it said, not even death will stop my heart from loving you just because. Just because. Nurture. To tenderly care for somebody. And when I thought about this, I thought about what, what Jesus says to us. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it or present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord, the church. This is our role. This is our assignment that Christ has entrusted us with. Because of what Jesus did for us. I thought about Jesus for a minute. And I thought, Jesus, why did you leave heaven? I heard his answer. Just because. Why were you born in a stable? Just because. Why did you subject yourself to our humanity? Just because. Why did you endure the cross? Just because. Why did you go to hell? Just because. Why'd you heal me? Why'd you answer my prayers? Why do you choose me? Just because. Why did you save me? Why do you give me another chance? Why do you believe in me? Just because. Why do you keep me? Why'd you wake me up this morning? Why did you show me such favor? Just because. Why do you use me? Why do you put up with my mistakes? Why do you walk through every challenge with me? Just because. Why do you stick by me no matter what? Why did you leave a love letter for me after you die just because just because just because she, she needs you to nurture her why just cause because that's what it means to be a man see we, we have gone so far away from what it means to be a man and it's time that we return to, to actually what it means it's time that we talk about these things nurture V 
Verbal communication, E, emotional support, and nurture. You, ultimate need, ultimate need. In the context of our text, a man meeting the needs of his wife, the overriding principle, uh, the overriding comparison is that the man is supposed to be a representative of Christ to his wife and his family. That a woman is supposed to see Jesus in her husband. And we know from Ecclesiastes that the greatest need in everybody's heart is Jesus, to be connected with their creator. Because God has put, the Bible says, eternity in the heart of all men, or all, all people, right? What does that mean? It means that the greatest thing that we can do, the ultimate need that we can meet in our spouse is to draw them closer to Jesus. Listen to me. To lead spiritually. Lead in prayer. Lead in church. Lead in tithing. Do you know that most women have to twist their husband's arms to come to church to pray and to give to church? Amazing. Lead her in God being first in your family. Lead her in putting her hope in Christ. Lead her in reminding her about God's promises during problematic times. Lead her in thanking God for his goodness. Lead her in raising your kids in the ways of Christ. Lead her in a God-first family and marriage. Lead her in all things God. God wants us to paint a portrait of Jesus for our spouses. She needs to see Jesus in your patience. She needs to see Jesus in your countenance. She needs to see Jesus in your nurture. She needs to see Jesus in your example. She needs to see Jesus in your prayer life. She needs to see Jesus in the way that you take care of things. She needs to see Jesus in you. That is the ultimate need that every woman has. A godly man. I mean, do do you think that that women really want to marry somebody who's a dirtbag? Do you think they said, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick this loser over here. No, every woman wants a godly man. And the last thing, the last need, V, verbal communication, E, emotional support, and nurture, you ultimate need, the last thing, S, security. I'm told by the experts who study these things and analyze both men and women that this is one of a woman's five basic needs, the need for security. Will I be safe? Will I be protected? Will I be taken care of? Will my future be secure? Will I have financial security? Can I bring kids into this environment? Will it be a healthy environment? Can I build my life on this? Can I trust you with my heart? Can I share my secrets with you? Can I be vulnerable with you? Can I be unafraid? The need for security. Which got me to thinking about Jesus. When I think about Jesus, I feel safe. When I think about Jesus, I know what to expect. When I think about Jesus, he's consistent. When I think about Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I think about Jesus, I know that if I lean on him, he'll hold me up. I know that if I go to him, he'll be there for me. I know that if I trust in him, he won't betray me. I know that if I depend on him, I won't be disappointed. I know that if I'm vulnerable with him, he'll embrace me. I know that if I'm open with him, he won't hurt me. I know that if I I wander from him, he'll chase me. I know that if I give my life to him, he won't walk out on me. I know that if I give myself wholly to him, I don't need a fallback plan. I know that I can orient my life around him, my future around him. I know that my faith in him is not in vain. I am secure in giving myself to Jesus.
I know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll walk with me. I know that there are times he'll go before me. Other times when he'll stand behind me. I know that he'll uphold me with his right hand. I know he's praying for me. I know he's interceding for me. I know he's patient with me. I know he shows loving kindness to me. I know he finds pleasure in blessing me. I know he always thinks of me. I know he has my best interest at mind. I know he protects me, hides me, holds me. I am secure in Jesus. Here's my question. Fellas, would you feel secure with you? Because that's your job. Not as a taskmaster, as a privilege, as an honor. That's your that's your role. Call me idealistic, but here's the way I believe it's supposed to work. I believe that every young girl should have a daddy. And I believe that that daddy, by the way, this is what father means. It means source. It means protector. It means nourisher. It means provider. I believe that every young girl ought to have a daddy that's that. And then I believe at the appropriate time that a man who says that he loves that father's daughter ought to go to that father and ask if he can assume the role that the father has taken his whole life. Listen to me, ladies. And if your father, who's been a good father, doesn't approve, go back to last week. Hey, 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 goodbye. I believe that's the way it ought to be. Sadly, that's not the way it has been. This role has been abdicated by men. It's a role that has led to our families not being as domesticated as they should be. It's a role that has caused our children to be confiscated by the ever-declining culture of our day. But it's a role that I believe God is calling us men to reclaim so that our families can once again be liberated. Listen, I know there's a lot out there telling you why civilization is broken. I'm telling you why civilization is broken. I'm telling you why culture is broken. It is broken because of what I'm teaching you right now. Point blank. That's the reason. And it's time that we stop all the political gesturing and nonsense and all of that kind of stuff and get to the heart of the issue because we can fix all of the symptoms, but until we fix the problem. And you know what? We're going to start to fix it right here, right now. We're going to start to fix it by teaching you fellas how to be men, how to be fathers, how to be husbands. This is why it's so important. Get involved in men's group. Right? This is why that women's group, Roz and Lisa, should not just be all about being independent and all of that kind of stuff, which is wonderful, but it should also be about how to be a good wife and how to be a good, good mother. See, we need to teach about family again because it is the restoration of the family where our hope lies. It is the restoration, restoration of the family where we can once again get back what has been lost in our society. It's time to take our families back. I want to end with a little story that a rabbi tells. And he says, why do women want to get married? Looked at logically, marriage is a terrible proposition for a woman. She has to risk her life to have a man 
child, pointing out that up until the 20th century, one in three women died in childbirth. She literally loses her name. She takes her husband's name, as do the kids. Call me old-fashioned. I still believe in that. When we get saved, guess what we become? Christians. We take Jesus' name. I still believe in that. Call me old-fashioned. I'm very old-fashioned, by the way. You get around me long enough, you need to know that I am as old-fashioned as they come. Yeah, Pastor, church is not that old-fashioned. Church is very modern and everything like that. That's the outside stuff. That doesn't count that much. It's the inside stuff that counts. She makes, goes on to say, she makes a man a home and assumes, even in our egalitarian age, most of the domestic workload. And today she has to hold down a job to provide that all-important second income. Why would a woman leave the parents who love her unconditionally for a man whose love is so inconsistent? Why would any sane person agree to such a rotten deal? Because a man can give a woman the one thing her parents cannot. Her parents can love her, but only he can choose her. He can make her feel special and unique. When a man proposes to a woman... He is saying to her, of all of the women in the world, I choose you. Of all the women. This is why marriage fidelity is so important. Because you're saying, of everybody else, I choose you. It's why unfaithfulness is such a punch in the gut. It's why it should not be taken lightly. Of all the women in the world, I choose you. On her wedding day, at the greatest party of her life, in front of her family, her friends, and God, she is celebrating. She has been chosen. And God's clarion call to all men, if you get nothing else, is this. Choose her. Choose her time and time again. You know what it's like to be picked last in the schoolyard, fellas. Don't make her be picked last in the home yard. Make her first. Make her feel that she's special by choosing her above all else. Choose her above TV and golf and hanging with the boys. Choose her over work and hunting and fishing and over yourself and over your wants and over your preferences. Choose her over being right. Choose her over getting... The last word. Choose her by deferring to her. Choose her by putting her needs before your your needs. Choose her even when she's upset. Choose her when she gets on your nerves. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for us. He said, you love me because I chose you first. Choose her. First. Above all things. I don't know of any marriage that is broken that can't be fixed. If a man, and we haven't even got to the, to the ladies part yet. If a man will just step up and say, my role is to meet your five basic needs. Here's what I found out. We're going to leave this as for next week. That if you will meet your wife's five basic needs, she will meet all of your needs and then some. Can I get a good amen from the man? Next week. My title is called, His Name is Mars, but not Bruno. Stand to your feet.